Hello, and welcome to your Daily Dose of Positivity, a show where teens talk about all the uplifting and inspiring stories happening in the world. Today, we're talking about infrared lasers and Alzheimer's, an abandoned team giving a home to senior dogs, and a new way to get colored cotton. I'm Carter Dvorak, joined by an excellent panel of hosts today. Hi, everyone. My name is Shangso Kim. Hi, everyone. I'm Kaylee. And Alabama. Hi, everyone. I'm Saisha. And I'm Lillian. Yes, today we have a guest host today. Lillian is part of the Positive team and is on some of the editing and kind of description work behind the show. And so we just thought to bring her on. She has a cool story to talk about. So I think to begin this episode, I'm going to try a little new segment, just a quick thing. Positivity through history. So today, as of when this episode goes live, which is Sunday, August 9th. In 1936, Jesse Owens won the fourth track and field gold medal at the um, 1936 Olympics, which were in Berlin. So this was the first time that anyone from the United States had done this achievement. And he kind of, one of the big deals with that Olympics was it was in Germany and it was when Adolf Hitler was in power. And so kind of Jesse Owens winning this award and beating a lot of the German athletes kind of was a bit of a smack in the face of Hitler and some of his ideologies. And so that was just an interesting story to kind of look at and see and a bit of a bigger moment in history and some good news, at least for America. Also, he was black, so that was like an extra. Yeah, that's also incredibly true. So a bit of a shocker to all the racists in Germany to see him rise above. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think with that, moving on to the main source of the episode, I think, Young, you are up first. Uh, yeah, so I found a news article where um, some scientists in Korea developed a, a type of uh, building that can float when there's a flood. So what the building do is if there's a sensor that senses how much water is there and if it's too much water, the building just rises and just starts floating in the water. So um, many buildings have that. So in case of a flood, um, you know, people don't have problems uh, going, to, going to places because um, buildings will not be filled with water. That's great. I mean, that's, I, I can see how useful that would be. Like, you don't have to find another place of safety. You can just be, you know, in your home or in your building. And that definitely cuts down on the damage post-flood because, you know, and oftentimes floods are not the only thing that happen. They come, you know, with, you know, hurricanes or other weather events. So not having to deal with that damage makes the cleanup a lot easier. Yeah, I totally agree. That seems like a really fascinating kind of a cool thing in you know, design and then building homes. It's kind of a neat feature to have. Do you know how it like works? Like in my brain, I just picture like float, like a large like inner tube coming out around the bottom of the house. and just kind of rises. Do you know how the actual like system, like how it floats? Uh, no, I actually don't know. Um, they, you know, they still haven't released the exact details about it. But, you know, right now Korea is going through a flood. So um, they've made it. Um, it works. So um i think they were they were saying that they were going to release some of the details um later but uh yeah it's cool is it wood or like 
but I can't imagine. Like, uh, it's not wood. It's not wood. I just saw the pictures, but it's not wood. I don't know why they said, but it's not wood. Maybe like steel. I think. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. Seems incredibly cool. That's insane. The feat of engineering. It really is. It's like these kind of neat, like. It is kind of fascinating to see how like engineering kind of can advance and like accommodate to certain issues that we've had. And like, I just think it's really cool to see people like they see a problem and to like think of it in a certain way where it will fix it. Where like that might not have been like the conventional way of doing things. So it's kind of cool to have like an out of the box way of solving these issues. Yeah. And there's been a lot of improvements in engineering in terms of like earthquake prevention and so I'm curious to see now that we have our um, technology related to floods how can we make homes more durable against tornadoes and hurricanes and all the different natural disasters. The first thing I thought of when he said like floating houses was um, you know the Aztecs like floating food islands, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they're called Chinampa. Like, have a similar idea. Yeah, in Tenochtitlan, something like that in Mexico City, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my, when you said Aztec, I thought of like Aflac, the insurance duck, and I was like trying to rack my brain if there was like a commercial where there's floating houses. That was like, okay happens you know <laughs> pronunciation i'm sure yeah. affleck will help protect your home and actually i think they're medical sure. insurance <laughs> yeah when i google affleck floating houses the only thing that comes up is our macy's thanksgiving day parade float but that's about that's about it okay i guess all we can... right <laughs> Um, I guess we can move on to my story unless anyone else has something they want to say. Um, so I found a really cool story about advances in um, looking for cures for Alzheimer's. So many well-known neurodegenerative diseases like um, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, those are the result of formations of plaques in the brain that are known as fibrils, and they're basically made of these things called amyloid proteins. I'm not going to get like too sciencey here, but basically what those plaques do is they collect between neurons and it uh, impairs cell function. So you can't, um, neurons are like what go in your brain, like make you think and stuff. And so it impairs the function because they're forming between them. And so up till now, it's been really hard to figure out how to cure these diseases because it's so hard to get rid of these plaques. And now there's a research team led by Dr. Takayasu Kowaski, who's from Japan, and Huang H. I'm sorry, I cannot pronounce this name, um, who is from a research center in France, and then other researchers um, from Nagoya University in Japan, and they've created a study that showed uh, that an infrared laser can destroy the plaque in the brain. Basically, they used a two-pronged approach with laser experiments where the laser is tuned to a specific frequency and also molecular dynamic simulations, which I don't fully understand, but they basically work together to make the particles disintegrate from the inside out. And 
they haven't done human trials yet, but they've done simulations and experiments with yeast proteins that are known to form the same fibrils on their own, and it's been successful. And this story really stuck out to me because my great-grandma had dementia, and she passed away four years ago. She was 100, so, you know, she really did live a full life, but it was, I was older when, you know, she got dementia, and I remembered when she didn't have it, and it was really hard to see her um, kind of, like, you know, fade away from the disease and how hard it was on our family, especially my grandma. And so, like, things like this give me a lot of hope, and, you know, hopefully one day other people won't have to go through that and, you know, see their loved ones kind of, you know, fall away from them um, through these diseases. Yeah, I, that is super cool that people are advancing medical technology. And speaking of dementia, the other day I listened to a podcast about a woman named Joy Millen, who can actually smell diseases including um, uh, Alzheimer's and like Parkinson's and like she has like such a strong nose that she can like smell the oils on people's skins that make them better. That's so cool. That (laughs) that reminds me of like the story I think I did the first week with the dogs who could like sniff out COVID but she's a human, which is honestly a lot cooler because, like, dogs are known for their sense of smell, but definitely not in the same way humans are. Yeah, she's, Uh, like, at universities, like, doing experiments with them, furthering research, but she, it's kind of interesting because, like, because she has a strong sense of smell, like, she could be walking down the street and, like, smell if people have diseases or not, and, like, they may not know but she's like bound by contract that she can't tell anyone because it's so sensitive, you know? So do you know if certain diseases like have a certain, like if the, um, if either like the bacteria might have a certain scent to it that she's being able to smell? I don't think the diseases are bacteria, but according to her, they do have different smells. Like I'm pretty sure she described them as musky. I mean, I know from my research with the dog one that um, respiratory diseases like COVID, which is why they were sniffing it out, um, like, I think they change the way you smell or something, which dogs can pick up, but I think it definitely depends on the disease and then also, like, what dogs can pick up versus humans. Yeah, and I think that, like, especially with this story here with the infrared lasers, like, I know especially, like, infrared lasers are doing so much these days, like, the non-contact thermometers, I'm pretty sure they're infrared thermometers that are um, being able to, you know, sense the temperature without having to put it on your forehead, which makes it a lot easier for doctors, because I'm working at a dental office this summer, and that's what we have to do. We have to take everyone's temperatures using that thermometer. And it would probably be a lot of work to have to wipe it down in the middle of each patient and everything. So I think that that's a pretty cool breakthrough. And it's cool how they are being able to um, also, like, further studies and destroy plaques and um, in all these ways. Yeah, I mean, there have been lots of trials in the past with different types of medication. Um, and they're kind of, you know, changing gears and working with lasers because I think from what I read that, you know, medications haven't been able to fully get rid of the plaques and uh, destroy them like the lasers have. So it's cool to see that, you know, they're doing that. And I know it'll hopefully help a lot of people.
in the future. Yeah, I totally agree. I always find it fascinating to see these like new advancements in like medical technology that probably didn't that, you know, haven't existed until like quite recently. Like it, it's always very interesting to see like, you know, what these new research teams are doing and how we can just kind of continue to like better fight diseases that were for a long time uncurable. Like you think back to even think back to things like polio, like that was kind of, that wasn't an incurable disease until I think relatively recently in the grand scheme of things. And so it's always kind of cool to see like these long-term issues. And then we've like, after, you know, trial and error and working through them can eventually find a way to cure them or at least tame them to better deal with these issues that, you know, until up until that point had just kind of been statements of life of like, this is what you have and we can try these things, but they're not as well known. And I'm really curious to see how, you know, better, like as this system goes on, how it will work on more like living, like, organisms such as you know humans and other test subjects it just I'm really I'd be excited to see how this comes out in a couple of years from now yeah I'm quite interested to see how COVID will affect our daily lives in the future like what changes will take forward you know like will more germaphobes be born of this like I just am questioning how reality will permanently change. Yeah, or of course, like the question is, like, you know, like, would life ever be the same as how it was? Like, something that I was just discussing with uh, someone the other day is literally, like, three or four days before school was shut down, like, for, you know, forever, we, there was a band concert in my school that had, like, 400 players. It was, like, the entire school district, or, like, at least, like our side of the school district, and there were 400 players in that, and, like, the whole bleachers were packed and everything. It was, like, literally four days before school was shut down. So, I was, like, just saying, like, you know, considering, like, how people in that audience could have had COVID, considering how it was a thing at that time. Well, to be fair, it wasn't probably in my county yet, but... Like, would, would something like that ever happen again? Like, that's what I'm just wondering. Because that would be really interesting to think about. I definitely think um, things are not going to go totally back to normal. Like, I'm sure the way we treat the sick from now on, like, whether or not they have COVID, like, whatever it is, will definitely be with a lot more caution than we used to. Like, yeah, I mean, sorry. people, you could... I don't think people anymore will even consider going to school if they have a cough. Like, I, I don't think that's going to be a reality anymore. I mean, yeah, even just, like, silly things, like, um, three of my siblings, well, two of my siblings and myself have had birthdays, like, during COVID, and for each one, we bought a separate cake to, like, blow out, and, like, my mom was saying, like, we, sh we should do this all the time. Like, it's crazy to think that before this, we were eating cake that someone, you know, had basically spit all over by blowing out candles on. It's just something that you never thought about before. Yeah, I had a conversation, like a very similar conversation about somebody about that today of like these things like like birthday cakes and like kind of these things that you don't think about, but like put in this perspective of this virus, like you see them as like a much more like germy thing of like, you know, yeah, like at birthday parties are a great example of like a child or any person like basically spits on an entire cake and then you cut that up and serve that to a large group of people. And like, it's just a very strange thing to think about. I think a lot of like things, even such as like buffets of like, some like small clusters of area where like germs from a bunch of different people can kind of 
coexist together. I think that there definitely will be some good strides in, you know, health and in like overall safety of from like different diseases and viruses. I think you'll see less of parents just kind of sending their kids to school with the flu from now on. Like, I think you're going to see less of if people are sick, they will be at home and they will heal when they, they go back when they're feeling very, very basically normal and better again. I think that'll be a bit of culture that has changed. Yeah, I'm pretty sure handshakes are going to be completely eliminated from our culture. Not sure how I feel about that either way. Yeah, it's very so interesting. I also saw this thing that was showing um, like how someone was preparing like I think their kindergarten classroom for this like for this upcoming school year and it was saying like how um, like because they used to have like the desks in like clumps of four and now they're now all the desks are like apart from each other and it's just like basically they're just going to be sitting at their desks and learning when I remember when I was in kindergarten we'd literally you know all have like you know like circle time and all this the carpet for circle time is gone and the kidney table where you know everyone to sit around like with like small groups I don't know if you guys had a kidney table but I remember that and like it was just something that's so nostalgic to me like it was just something so simple as a kidney table being gone I don't know if you guys had a kidney table or not but it was just something that was simple to me but made me sort of sad that like kindergartners and elementary school kids wouldn't have that and they just literally be sitting apart from each other and just trying to learn all day instead of having fun like which I think is sort of a part of being in elementary school. Is everyone studying, studying online or going to their school campus? We're doing a hybrid. Oh. Yeah, we're I doing school, hybrid as well. My school's totally online. Same. I just yeah. started school and it's horrible. It just nice. feels so awkward seeing everyone on the screen and I don't know, many teachers just retired and we got new teachers and I totally don't know them. And it's like, oh, how, hi, how are you? It's so awkward saying hi to them. And yeah. I don't know. At the beginning of COVID, like when we just switched to Zoom, like both people had their cameras turned off and like were muted. So like, I just wonder how they're gonna enforce people to like show up to these classes, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't know how any, anything is gonna get done with online school. We're forced to turn on our cameras and um, our voice. So our school is kind of strict. Yeah, our school gave us a choice between either going all five days a week, you know, like with masks and distancing or basically staying at home but it's like there's only like one teacher from the county monitoring and it's all like online classes and so I'm definitely very much bummed that I won't be able to be in classes with my like own teachers and stuff because I think that that's a big part of kind of what motivates at least me as a student to taking certain classes and such but I don't know I'm hoping that things can either work out and I, I don't know I have a feeling that sooner or later we will all be online again as unfortunate as that might be. Yeah, I mean, last year, at least we had the benefit of having the first half of the year um, in person. So like teachers got to know us and our personality and we like kind of had a vibe with our class. And so even though we did go online and it was harder, at least you kind of, you know, knew your classmates and knew what was going on. It'll be very interesting to see how this year starts with like, you know, starting classes virtually and not getting to be with your teacher all that time, like how that's going to go in terms of, you know, forming kind of like a, a school community. Yeah, 
Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think it'll be very interesting going to virtual school the first day of school versus doing virtual school on like the last day of school and kind of the first half versus the back end of the year. I don't know. Who knows? And I guess the people, some students that have already gone back have kind of gotten to experience that, but I'm very curious as to where we'll be a month from now, two months from now, and how school and kind of the overall world in this virus-wise will be. Yeah, I mean, I'm a rising senior, and it's looking like I'll be in a group that goes to physical school in the second half of the day, so it's really weird to think that my last first day of school is going to start with, like, me going on a computer, and, like, half of my friends are going to be in school, and, like, half of my friends aren't, and so it's just going to be really weird. Like, I'll be in school that day, but, you know, the whole waking up early and, you know, getting ready and, you know, arriving at school in the morning is just something that's, like, never going to happen again for me, which is, like, a really weird feeling. Yeah, Yeah, everyone felt bad for last year's seniors. Like, of course, like, I still do, but this year's seniors, it's going to be totally different, like, from the start. Mm -hmm. That's incredibly unfortunate. Like, you know, I feel bad for all of you, and, like, I'm very thankful that I'm only a junior, but, like, I do, like, I feel bad for the last year's seniors, this year's seniors, like, it's just a weird time, and we'll tell stories about it when we're older, I can tell you that much. Yeah, I mean, like, every, like, everything changed. At first, I was really happy that it happened at, you know, the second half of my junior year, which is, you know, traditionally very stressful and filled with all that kind of stuff, and then as it kind of became the reality that it, this is going to go on longer than just the second half of the year, I kind of started to, like, change my feelings about it I mean I just found out the other day that I'm gonna have to wear a mask through my entire SAT which will be my first time taking the SAT since it every single one I've signed up for will be canceled so it's just like a very different new reality and way of living yeah I totally agree I think unless anyone has anything else to add to the infrared story we can probably move on to Sesha and her story yeah okay what a big tangent yeah (laughs) It's all good. It's what a podcast we, we is for. We can't help talking about it. Like, no. it's hard to have a conversation. No. That's not. That's the point. We start off with the topic, and then we keep talking about. We keep going on. I was wondering, you know, like because I feel like that's why having conversations is more fun. Because, like, on my podcast right now, I'm I'm the only one talking, and I think that's the reason it's also like, the episodes are shorter because I'm just like going off a script. But like when I listen to like um other podcasts and it's like two people talking and then they go off on tangents, it's like fun to listen to their conversations, and you know what they like totally. end up talking about. Even when they started off, like we started off talking about lasers and Alzheimer's. We're just really casual here. No big deal. We are. Our episodes are getting progressively (laughs) longer. And I just, I'm here for it though. I think this is incredibly fun. We're like growing as a group and that makes me really happy. I agree. Anyways, should I start talking about my story before we (laughs) lose track of time? Go for it. Anyways, okay, so my story sort of reminds me of Kaylee's previous stories is mine has to do with animals. So um, my story is about a teen who was abandoned at birth and now she raises money to give to senior dogs. So Mina Kumar was as an infant, she was um, dropped in a little basket at an orphanage in India. And so then she was adopted, I think at two by a family. And this family had a dog that gave um, birth to a litter of puppies. And she became like obsessed with these puppies. She loved them. She was 
she um that's when she started realizing that she had a love of dogs. Then when she would think she was um about eight, she moved to San Jose, California. And when she moved there, um I don't think they could bring her dog with her, but um they adopted a dog named Bambi and she wanted to make regular trips to the Humane Society. So her love of dogs continued. Then when she was 12, she learned about the Muttsville Senior Dog Rescue from her neighbor, which the um, mission of this rescue is to give older dogs a second chance at life. And they rescue over a thousand dogs every year. And she knew she wanted to be a part of this, but she was too young to volunteer no matter how hard she tried. So then she decided to start her own business because according to her, you're never too young to start your own business. So she started her own pet sitting business called Pet Fairy Services. And she charged a rate of $35 a day to pet sit. And she made over $7,000 in in, within two years. And because of a grant from her dad's work, they, um, do, they matched the donation. So she was able to donate $14,000 to this um, business, to the senior dog rescue that saves senior dogs. And then um, I'm, she's 14 now. It did not say if she's um, able to volunteer there yet, but she still continues her business because she loves, absolutely loves dogs and she um, wants to continue helping them, especially the senior dogs. And also, one second, the last thing is, um, there's. I like this quote from her, because um, in this article that I um, found this story, she says, I feel like all dogs should get a forever home, just like I did. I love that. That's absolutely amazing. Like, I love these just fun stories of people who have these, like, strong passions and will kind of do, like, and then act on them. I think it's really cool, like, the fact that she donated like all the money that she made from this work is pretty incredible. And then the fact that that, that got doubled, like a $14,000 donation, like, and it's amazing it's like, at the age that she does it. It's incredibly huge. And then Especially doing that at like 14. 12, 13, 14, yeah. I was not donating seven grand <laughs> to elderly pet associations when I was 14. <laughs> right. It's so impressive to see these kids that like Carter said are so driven they know what they want to do at such a young age and accomplish things. I mean, because she, she decided not to take a no for an answer because she was told she was too young to volunteer. So she decided if I can't volunteer, I'm going to help out in another way. And I love that it's for senior dogs too, because I think a lot of times yeah. when people go to, you know, get a dog or even adopt one from a shelter, they're always drawn to the puppies. I mean, who wouldn't be? And like a lot of times maybe they're adding to their family and they want, you know, a dog that's going to be there for a long time. But like those senior dogs really do need love, especially like if they're not going to have as much time left, like you want to make the, the last moments of their life be like really happy and like with a loving family. And so I love that that's the organization that she's, you know, working with and donating to. 100%. And it ought to also mention that um, in this coronavirus pandemic time, um, the rates of adoption of these dogs had skyrocketed, which was, which is a definitely another positive thing <laughs> that a lot more people are adopting these senior dogs now. Pet overpopulation is a thing. Adopt from town. Very true. Yeah, it is cool. I've definitely known quite a few people to, who have acquired dogs during this pandemic. And it is like 
it's fun, especially to kind of see like this project to continue to grow. And I'm hope like I definitely see a future for um, Mina in like in this dog society. I definitely hope that like they better hire her at this point after <laughs> doing such a charitable donation and like she's dedicated, you know. And that's I think a great thing to show, especially in something in somebody with such in in somebody of such a young age. Like, I mean, she realized it was her passion and she decided to keep going for it, which I, like, I truly admired that. Like, you know, you had a passion, you were told no, you still decided to pursue it in any way you could. Indeed, I think that's great. Yeah, I think, like, I think there are a lot of stories of that. If, like, a lot of the very successful people who have had passions for their work get rejected a lot. You know, a lot of famous authors get rejected by publisher after publisher after publisher until they finally write you know a hit and i think like until they finally publish their story and it becomes a you know a sensation or like people in you know in the film industry like who have a passion for acting like will get rejected and rejected and it's just this it's more so showing that your commitment for you know the long term that you're willing to get knocked down and then get back up again and continue driving towards this passion that um, you know not letting a failure stop i know somebody. Do, I think it's a great do lesson. any of you guys watch the show the office Yes. Yes. So, very much. Um, because I I listened to the Office Ladies podcast, and so in like the last episode, um, they were interviewing Rashida Jones, who plays Karen Filippelli, and she was saying how mm-hmm. if she, um the she basically decided that the Office was her last audition, and if she didn't get it, she was going to quit acting because she like nothing was working out for her, and then she got the role, which and then it completely changed her life because now she has like been so many things and so many roles. I mean, I firmly believe that rejection builds character. Like, people who have everything come to them so easily. Like, those people in school who, you know, never study and they, like, always get A's and, like, always do really well. Like, they bother me so much because it's, like, you know, you need to have something bad happen to you. You need to, like, you know, try and, like, be defeated. And, you know, all the people I know who are, like, super passionate and, you know, great at what they do have dealt with so much rejection. And I feel like that's such an important life thing to go through like a phase of just I know it sounds like really bad but just like going through a phase of like bad things happening to you or like you know getting shot down because you can only go up from there and it just I think it just helps you become such a more interesting like full person I speaking of people who get A's without trying I absolutely hate that like I study so much so, like, whenever I'm doing a test, I, like, my goal is just to beat them. Like, it is so intense. My need to beat these people. You know? Yes. Totally. Get what you mean. Yeah. And then, like, I kind of, when you talked about, like, you know, getting, like, persevering, especially when it comes to a school situation of, like, you know, I definitely had the experience of, like, you know, maybe you don't do great on a quiz still do the quiz corrections right like I think that's kind of a thing to take away of like maybe you didn't do great on this test maybe you didn't do great on this quiz it definitely happened to me then you take that and you go maybe go to the teacher and be like hey can we go over this question by question and talk about what I got right what I got wrong like that's a very important thing to know and like I wouldn't have known to do that or probably would not have done that if I just passed the test or aced the test without really giving a care like it helps you better learn the content, better learn, you know, your motivation and like to better learn whatever craft or industry that you're in. For sure. 100%. And like, in my AP psychology class, sorry. um, No, you go ahead. 
Okay. Um, in my AP psychology class, we read a book called How We Learn, and it talked all about how making mistakes and failing is essentially the best way to learn because, like Carter said, if you were to completely ace an exam or something, you wouldn't really be learning anything. You kind of have to learn through mistakes, which applies to real-life situations like the story we just heard about. Yeah, and like all that rejection just makes the end product feel so much better. Like I went through a point in my life where literally in every single area, it felt like the world was just against me. I was so much rejection and so much like let down and then things finally started to fall into place and it felt so much better than it could have if it had just happened like you know four years of me basically living in my teacher's math extra help led to like an amazing year this year where I like succeeded so much and it just felt so good like getting my report card at the end of the year and finally feeling like it worked out and like in my competitive dance career like finally getting like a the last first place I needed to move up after over a year of getting basically second place every weekend it like it sucked while it was happening but it just felt so good at the end and like that's it just makes it so much like it just makes the ending so much sweeter than it could have been had it just come so easily yeah I definitely agree that you learn more and I feel like you just can like hard work and just dedication to a topic like if you think about it like Muttsville would not have gained $14,000 donation if they hadn't rejected her, if she hadn't, but then if she hadn't been rejected and then still been devoted to this passion. It's what makes a good story, that struggle, and then the powerful, uplifting ending and all those, like, yeah, one of my favorite um, examples of this is, you know, J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter. She was, I mean, I, like, I don't, like, it's been a while since I, like, you know, read her story, but I remember, like, she was poor, and she was, I think, in debt when she um, wrote Harry Potter, and she um, then, like, after the first book came out, and everyone loved it, that's when she became a millionaire, and that's when, like, you know, it turned so successful, but it was a really long process for her, and she went through a lot of struggles to create that book and story that's so beloved to love today. For sure. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Speaking of J.K. Rowling, don't you guys think it's kind of funny that still today, after the fact of the books like after they've all been published she continues to like add personality traits to the characters like after the fact i think it's like she's like oh yeah and this oh yeah and that. i just think it's kind of weird it's definitely interesting it's definitely like a that's a whole debate very much though on like when it, is it always so the author's creation or when does the creation go from kind of being in like the story and the lore go from being from the author to the fans it's an interesting story that we could definitely dig into at some point totally and then i think with that unless anyone else has something to add i think alabama let's get into your story okay my story is a a classic it's a classic my story is about a 90 year old man named ken kenneth phelps who grew up in the 40s or 90 years ago he grew up 90 years ago where the I mean 
there weren't, I would say, any. Maybe that'd be naive of me, but they're just, as far as I know, there were not a lot of LGBT icons or, like, support for that lifestyle. Or, yeah. And this kid can realized at the age of 12 that he was um, gay, but uh, he was religious. His family was extremely religious, and he just knew it was bad, and there was a lot of stigma saying that gay people were perverts or not to be trusted, you know, like sinners. That there's still some of that stigma today, which obviously isn't true, but it was even more um, intense back then. So he he grew up gay. At, he went to the army, then he came back, and he met the love of his life, whom he lived with for two years until he just felt like he couldn't be a Christian and gay at the same time. He felt like it was just too hard for him, so he moved away, leaving his love. Tragedy, classic tragedy. So as he got married to a woman and he had a daughter, and as she was growing up in the 90s, she came out as gay to her father. And even then, he was still, like, he wasn't out of the closet. He was still, apparently he, like, kind of scolded her for being gay like like I don't know like closeted anger or something but now they're on like good terms as far as I know and he's fully accepting but this year he finally came out as gay very publicly on Facebook he's received lots of love lots of support apparently his daughter said she was not surprised that he was gay and he's been looking for his lost love, whom I tragically do not know the name of, but sadly found out that he had died some years ago. But he's now living free and as himself. So a, a bittersweet ending, I'd say. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think that's an interesting story to it's something that's, something that's always kind of fascinated me like in this modern day is that we aren't as removed from history as we'd like to think. So like if he is 90, he was probably born, he was born I think in 1930, right around that period. And so I think that's always interesting to think of like, we still have people who have gone through World War One and through the history up until this point. I think that it's an interesting thing to show the statement of as well is kind of the, how far we've changed from that point in our generation and our you know, our general culture of being able to be much more accepting of these things at this point. I think that's a very, it's a good point to bring up. It's an interesting statement on our culture of how we very much, I feel we've very much grown to be a very accepting group and a very, again, like accepting culture where that didn't exist, you know, 90 years ago, let alone 70, 50, 30, probably even in such as like, we've changed a lot. I think it's always fascinating to contemplate. I mean, speaking of his age, like, you know, he's 90 and not to be morbid, but he probably does not have 
a ton of time left. And so it would have been very easy for him to kind of just, you know, go on and not do anything and just kind of, you know, like never come out. And so I think it's really admirable that he was able to find value in that even so late in his life. And hopefully, you know, the end of his life, he can feel a lot more free and happy. Yeah, I I think that today, while we are at our best, I'd say in history, like we still fall short of where we should be, but we're aware now that we have internet, we, we can be like actively aware of all of our mistakes and actively try and fix them, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure this man is not nearly the only person from his generation that has kind of faced a life of trauma and tragedy because of his identity. But it's great to have a triumph at the end of such a sad story. Definitely. It is really, it is interesting to think about how like, you know, I think like on a grand scale of things, at least me being, maybe just me being an optimist, I very much like to look at history and think that with each generation, I think with each passing of time, we get better, at least to some extent. I think that that's, you know, it's a very hopeful outlook on things, but I very much think that comparing the world 100 years back, 100 years before that, we have greatly advanced a lot and pretty exponentially in culture, in technology and such. And so I think it's always interesting to see like these culture changes. And I'm really glad that he can, at this point, feel good in his life to make those choices to come out. I think that's always very good. And I think kind of what Kaylee said is like, he probably does not have a lot of time. So I'm glad that he's able to enjoy those last few moments feeling free as a person. And I think his story in general, sorry. You're good, you go. you're good. Oh, I just said it's never too late to be yourself. Oh, yeah. And I was just saying, like, in general, I think his story is just very symbolic of, you know, for example, like, if he was born in the 1940s, you said, or like, in, like that's when he was, I guess, a kid. Um, like, how much of this country and in general, like, the world has changed in the last, like, 80, 90 years? It's very interesting because I was just doing something regarding Black Lives Matter. I know this is going off on a different tangent for um, my podcast, and so I was doing a little bit of research. And in the grand scheme of things, the civil rights movement was, like, only, like, 50, 60 years ago max, which is not very long ago And like, you know, the 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 time of the world which is like interesting so i think it's pretty cool how much this country seems to have progressed in the last like 90 ish years i very much agree and again i don't think that we are near perfection i don't know if we'll ever reach that point but i very much think that we will continue to devote energy and as a culture continue to drive closer and closer to becoming a better society, accepting of everyone, accepting of these things. I think it's incredibly important and very hopeful for the future. Right. And I think with that, we can move on to Lillian's story, unless anything else, anyone has anything else to add about Alabama's. All right, so my story is that scientists in Australia have discovered a way to grow cotton plants that produce colored fibers. So cotton is naturally white, but in the future we could see cotton fields that are red or blue or et cetera. 
But this is good news because this discovery has the potential to be a game changer for sustainability in the fashion industry because the current practice of having to dye cotton produces a lot of wastewater and is therefore harmful to the environment. So this is a really incredible discovery that could um, improve sustainability in the textile industry for sure. That's really um, cool. Yeah. Said, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, I agree. This is like fantastic. Less like fast fashion is such a plague, but like a lot of people don't have other options because it's so cheap and like affordable, um, you know, like good produced, well-produced clothing that is like environmentally aware and produced well is so expensive but, or you can thirst, I guess, but a lot of people don't have that option either. But um, fast fashion does use so much water and the greenhouse gases it puts into the environment is so harmful. So this is amazing. And that's, I, I'm speechless, it's so cool. Yeah. I agree, I was blown away by the video that I watched where the scientists were able to basically insert genes into the cells of the white cotton plants and they just start producing their own colored fibers. Very impressive. Yeah, not only is it sustainable, but it seems like it also streamlines the process because now you don't have to go through that extra step of, you know, dyeing the fabrics. And so I think, you know, anything that you can kind of streamline and make better is always better. It kind of reminds me of like the ramen story where making it sustainable also made it a lot easier to cook it. And so I think kind of, you know, making these changes to make things more sustainable has also so many other benefits that it's definitely something that we should be looking at in every aspect of life and, you know, trying to improve as much as we can. I completely agree. And then like kind of a side note, I also like am very much looking forward to seeing like what could be very cool and very like vibrant looking cotton fields. That just seems like a very interesting visual to me. But I also think it's very neat, like in, you know, my research for AP Environmental Science, sustainability is a very big factor of it. And there's like a, you know, for economic sustainability, it's trying to find a, a solution to how can we make this process better for the environment, better for the way we treat this planet while also not being incredibly taxing on a wallet or on the economy. And I think this answers both questions very well. I think that's always very interesting thing to see again similar to the ramen story like Kaylee was saying of you know we found people took an issue and they applied you know kind of out of the box thinking skills to it and they've come up with a solution that benefits both sides of it benefits the textile industry benefits the way we can produce certain clothing while also benefiting the planet and overall sustainability I think it's very cool to see yeah I agree with that and we might even have cheaper clothes since it's cheaper to produce clothes with self-colored cotton, which is always a plus because clothes are ridiculously expensive these days. Indeed, for sure. Yeah, I mean, every time I place an order, I'll buy like, you know, three items and all of a sudden the total's like close to $100. And I'm like, am I really spending $100 on, you know, three or four items? It's like, it's insane. And so, you know, cutting down on costs would be amazing. Cool. So jumping into my story, it's a bit of a shorter story, but I think it's a very good story about just kind of kindness and compassion. And so 
um, John Carb, um, John Capron. So a 23 year old Boston college student basically kind of became pretty viral on the internet a little bit, a, a few days ago of, he was in an antique store and played kind of his own version of journeys. Don't stop believing on like a piano. He got permission and then decided to play it. And, you know, his people filmed him and it went quite viral. And so it was just very cool to see like, of just somebody who has a very cool musical talent who was able to kind of put on a mini show for everyone, especially during this pandemic, you know, people are trying to get out to go to these different stores. And so it's kind of cool to see somebody put on music such as that. And then he had a mask on. So there was kind of a bit of a hunt to find out who he was. And then he eventually, you know, reached out to the antique store and said like, Hey, I was the person who did this. And then the owner of the store decided it was like, Hey, you know, you can, he wanted to give this person the piano, which was like a $200 piano. And then, and the, you know, the student was like, for sure. I love one. I've never had a piano before personally. And then this owner decided to instead give him a $3,000 Steinway piano that he just kind of had had sitting in the back and didn't have, you know, he had no use for it. The owner basically stated as saying that it's basically just going to sit here and collect dust. And so I'd rather give it to somebody who can play and who would enjoy it. And so the video of him, of the antique shop owner, like telling this to Capron is very beautiful and quite touching. They both Capron begins to cry and then the owner begins to cry. It's a quite emotional story. And then um, it kind of, the article ended with like, he's still finding a way to get it to his fourth story apartment. But I think it's just a very neat story of basic kindness and compassion of, you know, humans just being kind to each other and showing kind of grace and love, especially in this pandemic, I think it's a very important and refreshing thing to see. And so I just enjoyed it. I love that. Yeah. Such a nice story. Indeed. Yeah, I mean, the owner, like, I mean, he didn't have to give him a piano to begin with. And the fact that he gave him, like, a $3,000 piano. I mean, I know he said it was just sitting there, but it's always, like, it could have been a future profit. And especially during these times when local businesses aren't doing as well, the fact that he was, like, willing to sacrifice and give it away is so amazing. Definitely. Definitely. And, um... Yeah, it's, I think it just goes back to, you know, the themes of our show, like, you know, these stories where people are showing kindness to each other. Um, you know, obviously, everything we talk about has a, you know, a positive meaning, but especially I feel like these stories where people are doing something just out of the goodness of their heart, it just, like, has, like, a different sort of, like, feeling to it. It really does, and it's good, and it's very, you know, like, I personally am, you know, inspired by it, and it's just been very refreshing to see humans being human to other humans just being caring and kind compassionate because there's such like you know there's such a spin on this like of everything going on of like you know it's dark and the whole thing's burning and that was very much that's a way people can look at the world and I just kind of a genesis of the show is just me kind of being sick of that personally of like hey let's talk about good news at least once every week and it's like genuine like personally it has helped me it's kind of help brighten my outlook on things of just seeing small acts of kindness did the story talk anything about like how he learned to play piano he said he was self-taught which i think is again another wow oh my gosh that's really cool of the player of like piano's hard and i've you know i did piano in early elementary school like it's difficult to learn with an instructor 
we you know, we have a keyboard in our house and I think the only time I touch it or like and you know the like I don't a time I like I don't even touch it my cello teacher touches it whenever we have to do like duets with the like you know duets but other than that like I wish like you know I like I should probably like and this inspires me to carve some time and self-teach myself how to play sure. I have, yes I have like, one but I don't know how to play it it's been in the back of my mind all quarantine to like, you know, learn a song or something. Like I don't know if you guys know Howl's Moving Castle. It's a fantastic movie, but I've been wanting to learn like the theme to that for so long. But I just haven't like like I've just been way too lazy, but maybe now I'll finally do it. Yeah. And I think it's also, like, amazing because, you know, especially if instruments are so expensive and, you know, it's very amazing that he self-taught himself, but in the same sense, like, instruments are so expensive that, like, you know, a lot of people, like, like I don't, I obviously don't know what his backstory is, but I think it was, as we said again, very nice of the shop owner to, like, you know, let him do something that he obviously loves if he, you know, wanted to just go and play one in a store. And it's cool how it's like it was an antique store, not like just like a random commercial business store, like not a specific music store. Like it was an antique store that, you know, was obviously selling many items, not just pianos. Yeah, for sure. I think the store is called Remark, like Mark in all capitals, Remarkable Antiques. Yeah, it's incredibly cool to kind of, it's a small, I believe, family owned or owned store. And I think it's always cool to see. If you want to find me anywhere else, I am on the Student Council, which is C-O-U-N-S-E-L. That is a podcast. It's on Anchor and Spotify and likely some other places coming soon. And then another side update from episode two, I talked about Alex Trebek and kind of his cancer and his new book. And I just kind of want to say a quick thing of, I ordered his book. It came like two days ago. I'm already like a ha- like quarter of the way through it and I just absolutely love it. So I recommend if anyone's interested in Alex Trebek to order, the answer is, um, I forget the like second part of that title, but to order Alex Trebek's book, the answer is. I will plug my Instagram because I don't have any podcasts to plug. You can follow me at your local fairy with an extra Y. I'm Saisha. My um, podcast is called Brown Girls Rising. On Instagram, it's at Brown Girls Rising Pod. Um, the goal of the podcast is to empower South Asian girls, but we are also doing non-South Asian related episodes. The third episode, which comes out on August 12th, is actually discussing Black Lives Matter. So it'll be an interesting one. So check it out if you're interested. Excited. I will definitely be listening. Thank you. Yeah, I've listened to a few of your episodes and I just want to say it's so good and like I love listening Actually, to it. I'm excited oh for this new one. Yeah. So happy. yeah, same here. It's a great show. Thank you guys. Yeah, so for my plug, I'd just like to mention a small business or organization that has emerged out of the Fiveable founding members. It's called Music Generation. You can find it on Facebook. There's a Facebook group and I just thought it was appropriate to mention this as a plug because we were just talking about learning instruments and self-teaching. So if anyone, especially children, are looking for some kind of teacher or support in learning an instrument, check out Music Generation on Facebook.
for my blog. Um, I also have a podcast. It's called Pupusas, which is a podcast based on Latin American culture. So if you're interested um, in Latin American culture, you can uh, listen it on Spotify. And also you can find me on Instagram and it's youngsokim0404. Awesome. And I think with that, thank you very much for listening today. We covered a myriad of uplifting and hopeful topics. We went from Jesse Owens to floating flood buildings to Alzheimer's leasers. And so if you want to find our podcast on Instagram, we are at positivity.podcast. We also have a Facebook group just called Positivity. If you have any feedback or want us to tell a positive story that you've heard or encountered, email us at positivitypodcast2020 at gmail.com. If you want to hear more good news, our main resource has been the Good News Network, as we have discussed earlier in this episode. And this has been an episode of Positivity. I've been Carter Dvorak, joined by an excellent panel of hosts and guests today. So thank you all for listening. And until next episode, goodbye.